0: Well, thank all of you who braved the weather to be here tonight. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being with us online. And I trust that uh, this evening's message and time together will be a blessing to each and every one of us. If you are at home, see if you can get a Bible and try to block out as many distractions as possible. And even right now, would you be asking the Lord to speak to your hearts in the message? If you If have a Bible, turn to the book of 2 Timothy second Timothy we are in a series an end-time survival guide I'm convinced that we are living in the last of the last days I uh, I'm surprised the Lord has not already returned but what is amazing to me is the demonstration of God's love why would he allow the horrible sin, the, the, the state of affairs in our world, the horrible things that are going on, why would he allow that and not just call us home if it were not for the fact that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? He wants to give every individual the utmost opportunities to call upon him. I don't know when that time's going to be. There's going to be a time, however, when that last person trusts him at that moment just like that we're going to be called up raptured to be with him it says in second timothy 4 beginning in verse 1 i charge thee therefore before god and the lord jesus christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables this evening i'm going to be giving you our end times marching orders let's pray thank you dear lord for your love and your blessing and thank you for giving us These passages that give us an understanding of how we are to live our lives in the last of the last days. It is an exciting time to be alive knowing the scriptures. Because as we see the world falling apart more and more and and behaving in a manner that is less and less like you. It's good to be reminded that we can expect these things because you prophesied them. And it's an evidence that it won't be long before you'll be calling us to be home with you. Lord, meet with us this evening, and I pray that you'll be glorified in all that we seek to accomplish, for we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Notice in 2 Timothy 4, 1, he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. At his appearing, and his kingdom two separate times first of all as appearing i believe this is talking about the judgment seat of christ the time where believers will stand before the lord and be judged i don't like being judged i remember going for my master's degree and we would have to write a plethora of papers and the the, the man the dean over the bible college loved red ink and he would take papers and he would just mark and mark and mark, and then about halfway through, he started using computer, and the computer, he would use the computer to put red lines everywhere and, and, and marking everything and, and, and marking it and all up. And I'd get the paper, and I'd work so diligently, so hard, on that paper and get it to see all these corrections that he made, and always disappointed thinking that that was a perfect paper, until I got it back with all those judgmental markings on. It. going to come a time where we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers will. Now, believers will not be judged for sin, which is an incredible concept. All of our sins have already been judged. A payment has already been paid for all of our sins, all of them. Jesus paid that penalty on the cross. We will not answer for our sins, but our works will be judged. Of course, we know the concept that Those works done in the flesh. Those works done for selfish motivations. Like wood, hay, and stubble will be burnt away. But those works that were done in the Spirit. Those works that were done yielded to the Spirit's leading. Done for eternal purposes. Those were last. As as, as gold and, and silver and gems. For all eternity. In 2 Corinthians 5:10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's you and me. During the seven years that we're in heaven, sometime during that time we'll stand before the Lord in the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3:12 and following, Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. We're talking about our works here. It has nothing to do with sins. It's our works. Those works done in the Spirit, those works done for him will last, while those works done in the flesh will burn away. Romans 14, 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So following the trumpet, when we hear that celestial trumpet and immediately are in the presence of our Lord, sometime shortly thereafter. We will be judged. We'll stand before the Lord. And our works will be judged. He says, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, at his appearing? The judgment seat of Christ. But also, and his kingdom. And his kingdom. There will be a judgment by the Lord Jesus in the kingdom. As he sets up his millennial reign, as he rules and reigns, there will be a judgment. Now, I believe there will be more than one judgment, but one specific one is found in Matthew twenty-five thirty-one: When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. When will the Son of Man come in his glory? The second coming of Christ. As he sets up his millennial reign. And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. In Matthew 25, 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, there's not a great description here of exactly what he's talking about. I tend to think that we're talking about nations that favored and helped Israel, receiving a special blessing of some sort. And those nations that abused Israel would be cast into everlasting judgment. These are national judgments, I believe. What, do you, what to expect? At this time, what to expect? Well, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He begins the chapter by saying, I charge thee before the Lord and for God, Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. Why? Verse 3, for the time will come. Well, they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Well, if it's true that we're living in the last of the last days, then we're seeing these verses come alive in front of us. First description, I call it, channel surfing God's message channel surfing God's message is trying to control God's message oh I don't like that one I'll switch from that to another one. Oh, I don't like that one he's not funny enough he's not telling stories I'll turn from that one to the next one Isaiah 30 and verse 10 which say to the seers of the prophets see not and to the prophets prophesy not unto us right things speak unto us smooth things prophesy deceits this is listening to whichever preacher and teacher of God's Word makes us feel the best you know I'm talking about channel surfing God's message in the end times entertaining sermonettes people only satisfied with new and enticing exciting teachings Acts 17 21 says For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They wanted to be entertained. Tell us something new. Give us a new story. What's happening in society that's new? Entertain us. In our preaching, we want it to entertain us. We've raised a generation on the Internet. It's a sound bite generation. Attention span about that long. If our attention has not been peaked almost immediately, we scroll past looking for anything that will entertain us. We become masters of scrolling through Facebook, waiting for something to catch our attention. Our minds, as we're listening to preacher, scrolling through, just waiting for something to entertain us, everything else turns off. If the message doesn't immediately enter to interest us, our minds drift off, creating our own storylines in the end times there'll be a preferring stories to truth and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables the word fables or fiction i looked it up fiction people living in fiction the first verse or verse 4 says Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Don't give heed to fables. The word comes from the Greek word mythos. We get the English word myth or a fictional story. We've got a generation that says, Don't trouble me with the facts, don't confuse me with the facts. I want a story, a generation more interested in tales than in truth, in fun than in fact, in fantasy than in factual presentation of doctrine in God's word. We hear, doctrine divides, so preach love and peace. And yet, in Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. The message of Christ, the gospel of Christ is a divisive message. How do you change someone's opinion? Someone who thinks a particular way, they're ingrained in 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 a thought pattern. How do you change that? How does a populace fall for such outlandish ideas as socialism and communism? Or that marriage is old fashioned? Or that a loving God would not really send good people to hell. You tell them a story. Our country's ideals have been commandeered by Hollywood. Movies and TV shows have shaped our beliefs. Because we got caught up in the story and have overlooked the real message. You know what I'm talking about. You get into it, and all of a sudden, you get an idea of what it might be talking about. But before you get too far into the message, something you may not agree with, you're already hooked in the story, and you want to find out how it ends. We've got some mighty powerful emotions. We're emotional creatures. We who are not emotional are still very emotional. We've digressed to a willing suspension of disbelief, I read in one article. He reads, the longing for freedom and the extraordinary might be more or less intense in each of us, but what remains is that we all experience what is called a willing suspension of disbelief. At some point or other, when exposed to fictional narratives, surely you know that dragons don't exist, and yet when you're watching them, you can't look away for your life. That's you willingly suspending your critical capacities and believing the surreal to comfortably enjoy your time in the realm of fantasy. Involvement in the narrative and involvement with characters are processes that limit counter-arguing or make it incompatible, thus reducing individuals' resistance and favoring their acceptance of the message contained in the narrative. In other words, the more you get into a story, the lower your discernment. Falls, making you more and more susceptible to whatever message is buried in the story. He writes, this is very magical and all. Yet there are some other darker uses for this phenomenon. Obviously, the shutting off of your cognitive capacities for critical thinking has the perks stated above, but it also leaves you in a state permeable or open to foreign influence that is not subject to the critical analysis you would normally carry out. That's how you can watch a show or read a book and end up cheering for a spouse to leave their spouse for another. All because you connected with the characters. We can find ourselves hoping that the main character will brutally beat up the one that the writer casts as a villain, or steal a car to carry out a mission, or though unmarried, run off for a weekend with a true love all because we got pulled into a story. Therefore, he writes, think twice when you feel there is nothing political about a film or a series, for you could be unconsciously being exposed to content completely embedded in ideology, regardless of truth. Parents who stand militantly against certain vices somehow completely change their stance. When they're kids. Become involved in them. Why? Because their parents are emotionally involved with their kids. The devil lays a thick coating of emotional connection before trying to change a person's firm beliefs. If he can involve us enough in our feelings, he can have his way in what we believe. Our emotions can use to change us. A sports nut who spends every waking moment either playing sports or actively watching them, falls for a girl. Before you know it, he's found out that he has a favorite color. (laughs) He loves to look at flowers. He finds enjoyment in poetry and even has learned to bake. A teen who has been active in the ministries at church, serving the Lord and maintaining a faithful personal walk with the Lord, goes off to college. There, they sit under a likable professor, who at first says some things that the teen tends to disagree with. But Before long, after the teen begins looking forward to the professor's jokes, he finds himself starting to understand what the professor is really trying to get across. By the time the teen comes home during break, he's no longer interested in silly things like church and Bible reading. What happened? Emotions overruled our reason So what do we do? What do we do as long as possible? Here's what we do verse number two preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine What do we do? Here's what's happening in the last of the last days. We know it's coming Instead of listening to going forward and finding the truth this society is looking for fables. What do we do? Stay faithfully preaching God's word. The word preach here means to herald it. To herald it. To preach aloud the truths of God's word. Implied as a congregation faithful to the church services to hear the preaching of God's word. We don't have weekly concerts here. We don't have drama here all the time. We don't put on shows here we don't show nightly films we don't have popcorn to bring in the auditorium you say why not I'm not sure why not you come and you hear preaching why because that's God's plan preach the word Be instant in season out of season constantly stand for the truth The phrase, be instant, means to take a stand. Take a stand. Be present. Consistently stand for truth. Stand when truth is favored or when it's in season. When I was growing up, it was socially acceptable to go to church. That's what you did. Especially if you're a businessman. Businessmen joined churches. Because they knew if the local, comp, local people were going to do business with them, they better be seen in church. It was respectable to be in church. No longer. Now, businessmen are looked at with a second glance, questioningly, if they go to church. In season, out of season, when truth is hated, We read stories, times in history, of the fighting over the ordinances like baptism, when there were those promoting a sprinkling, sprinkling, not a baptism by immersion, but a sprinkling. And it got so horrible, there became martyrs and deaths who died over that very doctrine. It was found out that they were immersed in the river, and they were killed for standing that. We preach for change. What do we do in the end times? When 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 people or society are looking for entertainment, what do we do? We preach for change. He says to reprove. This word reprove means to expose sin. In Ephesians 5:11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Expose them. Preach that the people will see sin as God sees it. We don't gloss over sin. We don't call it fancy names. We don't try to make it acceptable. We make sin as ugly and gross and hurtful as God does. Rebuke. In Luke 17, verse 3, take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him this means challenge sin call it out and challenge it preach hard against sin show that you truly hate sin not the sinner. you hate sin you hate sin he says to exhort the word exhort here means to run alongside of and be a comfort encourager Matthew 5 4 blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted, exhorted. Preach for spiritual healing and strength, he says. And then he says, do it all with long-suffering and doctrine. Long-suffering and doctrine. The word long-suffering means patience and forbearance. Second Timothy 2.24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, Gentle. Gentle. Chantle with dealing with people's problems. Chantle with them. The word doctrine here literally means teachings, those truths presented in the scriptures. So he's saying here, preach for long-term results and preach doctrinal truth. Verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. How do you finish? How are we going to finish our race? I'm looking at folks, that, some of whom have been in the race for a while. Some of them are basically at, toward, toward the beginning of their race. If we knew that our race was going to be done next week, how would we run our race? If we knew that the finish line was next week one more week and we're at the finish line our race will be over all of the things we can do for Christ at that time will be done how do we finish living in the last of the last days how do we finish he tells us in verse 5 watch thou in all things the word means to abstain from wine, to keep sober, to keep alert and focused. Watch thou. Stay alert. It means don't be distracted. If we ever lived in a distracting time, it's today. <laughs> it is hard not to be distracted. If, if your phone's not going off, it will soon. If you haven't checked Facebook, you probably will soon. There's distractions going on all the time. We live in a very busy city here. There's distractions everywhere. Every time you turn around, there's something distracting us. You try to have a quiet time, and you get distracted. He says, how are you going to finish? How are you going to cross the finish line? Well, remove all those distractions. When I was in Bible college, one of my roommates I came in one time, and he was crying. In my room is by himself. And when we our talked to him. I'm going to find out he had gotten some bad news about his pastor back home. Come from a pretty large church. His pastor was fairly well-known. He did a lot of traveling, a lot of speaking. And it came out that one of the deacons saw him, taking a a drink of alcohol before coming out to preach. As the truth started to come out, a couple of years before that, he started to feel like he was losing ground in the ministry, and he didn't have the energy that he had, and he felt like though he had this large church and though he was speaking across the country, he, he didn't have the same... Feel, and in order to keep that same feel, somebody told him one time that there were certain kinds of alcohol you could drink that were, that, that were odorless. Something in a low time caused him to take a little drink. And it gave him a shot of energy, and he went and preached. So he started doing that. In the evenings on Sunday nights, when he was exhausted, he'd take a little shot before preaching, went and preached. It wasn't long before Sunday mornings he needed that shot as well, just to preach. And then, of course, followed by Wednesday nights. And then Monday started to get to be a real drag for him because he's got to come back to work on Monday. It wasn't long before he was an alcoholic. Oh, nobody knew about it, but God did. We're to watch, be careful, not be distracted. Not to allow the cares and those distractions of the world to pull us away. The devil is such a master at knowing what it is that can pull you away. That's why you and I, we must stay focused on him. Watch. He says, endure afflictions. The word endure means to undergo hardships. Be willing to undergo them. Who likes to go through hardships? None of us do. But don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. The hardships come. If that's the way it's going to be, if that's the way God's going to treat me, I'll just quit going to church. That'll solve it. Don't quit when the pressures mount. Some years back, I had a real sweet visit with a, a missionary friend. He was coming through the area and he met with me. At the time, I had been an assistant pastor for a couple of decades. And he, has, he said to me, he said in my office, he said, how do you do it? How, how, do, you, how do you just keep doing what you're doing, working for somebody like you do? How, how do you do it? He went on to tell me some of the situations that he was involved in where he felt like he was being taken advantage of by his superiors and, and different things. He was going through some hard times, treated a little unfairly. This is what happens to those who are not the number one man. Right, Pastor Van Hart? <laughs> and I reminded him that he was in the ministry. And that God had sufficient grace for him and knew exactly where he was and what he was going through. And God had allowed that. In his life, to develop him to be the kind of servant that God needed him to be. Endure, endure. That's probably been fifteen years ago. As far as I know, he's still serving the Lord in the same ministry. Praise the Lord. He says, uh, "Do the work of an evangelist." I think this is fairly simple to understand. Evangelize. What do you mean? Evangelize literally means preach the gospel. The Great Commission must be our lifeblood. We must be a deliverer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must encourage those who get saved to get baptized. To teach them to grow beyond that. To disciple them. We must keep soul conscious. Or we'll die spiritually. Evangelize. There are Sadly, too many well-educated spiritual corpses filling pulpits today. Oh, they know God's Word. Oh, they study God's Word. But it's nothing more than an intellectual exercise. Because God's Word is not making its way from here to here. Lastly, make full proof of thy ministry. It means literally translated, it means to carry out fully or accomplish. Carry out fully. Make full proof. carry out fully thy ministry, or simply finish the course. Finish the course. Keep your eyes on the person of the ministry. The second, I take my eyes off the person of the ministry, I become ineffective. When I no longer look to him, I cannot be a help. Because the only help I can be spiritually is him. If if I start encouraging you to look to me, then that's going to be really short-lived and disappointing. And you'll be let down. But, ah, if I can point you to him... If he can be your standard, if he can be your focus, if I can be nothing more than a big mirror in front of you, deflecting all the attention to him, but I must keep my eyes on him. Honestly, preaching against sin is getting harder. Even here, I've gotten pushback for preaching against abortion. And drinking. during the end times we are challenged to continue preaching hard against sin sin is still sin it's still that which nailed our lovely Lord Jesus to the cross and we are to encourage I am to encourage you to lovingly share the gospel to a lost world does it sound like it's a broken record over and over and over and over again, tell others about Christ, share the gospel, though I have nothing else to say. Let's clear out the cobwebs of confusion surrounding our beliefs. Make sure what you believe is grounded in Scripture, not your feelings. Now, mind you, you're going to have feelings, and you need to have feelings. If you don't have no feelings, you're going to be a zombie, and what a miserable life. I like to have feelings. I like to get excited. I like to be joyful and happy. I like that. But that emotion cannot be that which dictates my beliefs. I charge thee, therefore, before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall... Judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Speech class was probably one of my most intimidating classes. I didn't like speech class. Why? Well, you see, when you take a test, you quietly sit down at your desk and you write the answers, and the only one that knows how poor you did was the teacher. It's just you and them. But when you give a speech, you're doing it in front of everybody and you've got to look at them. You're greeted off if you look up here and do your speech up here. You've got to look at them and you're seeing their faces. That you're being judged even as you're speaking. It's miserable. I hated that. But I can't imagine, honestly, I can't imagine standing at the judgment seat of Christ one who knows everything about me all the times I've stood before you still being human not perfect struggling in areas of my own life well I'm trying to be a blessing to you perhaps most of the time I can cover that where you can't see it He can And I'll say, Lord, look, I shared the gospel with this person. You say, why'd you do it? I guess I can't lie to the Lord. I I did it so I could tell the people I did it. You know what I'm saying? Now I can stand up and say, look what I did. You're the pride. Only that which is done for Christ will last. The judgment seat of Christ. How long do we have? Where is that finish line? I don't know. But what if it is next week? What will we do to finish our course? let's finish well shall we let's pray I thank you dear Lord Jesus for your love I thank you for the incredible mercy and long-suffering that you show us and I thank you for this instruction tonight Lord I've I've needed this realizing that it's so easy to get caught up in all the affairs of the world and get discouraged about how wicked the world has become All the while, you have prophesied it. And you've told us how we are to live our lives in the chaos. And that we're to keep our eyes on you, not get distracted. Lord, help us to finish the race well. Help us to cross the finish line, keeping you the center, the focus of all of our attention. Lord, when we do stand before you, may our lives... The works that we've accomplished may they not be burnt away may they endure to your honor and glory for that we must have your help so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed are you prepared to stand before the Lord Are you prepared to demonstrate to him your works? Have you gotten distracted in the affairs of the world? Have you been chasing after fables? It's not too late. Between now and the finish line, you have plenty of time. To finish well between you and the Lord right now in this moment would you commit by his grace to finish your race well thank you dear Lord for giving us the opportunity of running a race help us to finish our race by keeping our eyes focused upon you by sharing the gospel with others by living our lives righteously And Lord, by finishing the finish line in your grace. Thank you for this time. We'll praise you for all you're doing, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.